0: What the hell are you doing? Man, I'm going to dress up like a furry and go to this convention because it's a, a bunch of other guys that are dressing up like animals. No way. No god dang way. That's Rain First in a nutshell. King of the Hill Edition. All right, guys. So we're back with Legends of the Internet with your guide, Jodini, and the West Coasters are back. We got Pliny from the good old Canadian border.
1: Yo, hey! Eh? Um,
0: and we got uh, Legend's residential furry, and he's willing to really hi- get hyped up to talk about this. Um, D- Atomic is here with us. I don't
2: live on the West Coast, I live on the Earth. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> is, that, is that what you want to call Okay. Sure. Okay.
1: Oh, you're a global citizen. Yeah, exactly. Hashtag no borders. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> exactly.
0: So... Here's what we got today. It is Rainforest. People have been calling this the uh, the opposite of Dashcon. I don't necessarily agree with that statement. I called it worse than Dashcon. Because I think it, well, I'll explain why as we get further along. But we're going to talk about the history of Rainforest, when it first started, the tremendous event that was 2015 and we will be going over our thoughts on it as everything goes on just so you guys have an understanding of exactly what happened and we'll have a couple of uh what do they call it we'll have a couple of people that were actually there experience the 2015 one in particular we'll go all over all of those so just to give you guys an idea of exactly What we got in store for Rain First. So this is like the first time that we were talking about two major events. DashCon we did earlier, now Rain First, which is practically the, like I said, the terrible, 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 the way that everything was going on. And I blame everybody. And I'll explain why as we go further down the line.
1: You know, admittedly,
0: the name is clever. Yes, and there's actually a reason why they called it that. And we'll talk about that in a second. So, Rainforest was an idea that was to replace the Conifer Northwest Convention by Gene Armstrong and Trap Winters, which was based in Seattle, Washington.
1: I can drive from Vancouver to Seattle in just a couple of hours. Uh, okay. So, you could have attended this event if you but so dead. desired. Yeah, I had no idea. I had no interest in furries. I was probably vacationing in Portugal at the time. Okay. i specific.
2: I mean, so, like, it was yeah. the summer
1: of yeah. when I did that. So, uh, yeah.
2: Yeah, I recall, yeah.
0: So, this article is called Call for Information, Furry Convention History by Fred Patton. It was published in January of 2016. So, right after the uh, the event that was rained first, 2015. But, no. The event started back in 2007 at the same time the all for fun uh, four was spelled f-u-r all for fun uh, it was created in spokane for the same purpose rain first had its act together and succeeded where all for fun faded away after three years after the first rain first it was incorporated as rain first anthropomorphics international or rain for short but rain but the N in rain is spelt with a lowercase n, while the others are uppercase. Rainforest is known for its particularly strong furry literary emphasis with writers' workshops, author readings, panels featuring at least one of the furry's specialty publishers, and since twenty eleven, an original furry anthology.
1: Since when the hell are there furry specialized publishers there like, are
2: i've i own some comics that were that have, that have published comics that were made by some furry artists or whatever i'm actually friends with somebody that actually has his own publishing um you know unit
1: it's like the furry fandom has is like so entrenched in the internet and it's been around for such a long time i this was bound to happen
2: i mean you gotta remember yeah. because we're gonna get into i mean because this, these are furries that we are talking about, so we're gonna- th- It's gonna be weird. It's gonna get weird with yeah, it. It's I, weird. So, yeah. there's so weird shit.
1: I imagine there's, there's gonna be a ton of yiffing.
2: There's gonna be weird shit that, you know, the normal man, or normies as they're called, cannot handle, so the furries gotta- the furries gotta take it upon themselves in order to, you know, get their stuff out there.
0: So, uh, as we were saying, uh, Rain, uh, the- the company- It's a non-profit group. It consists primarily for the purpose of holding events to facilitate education in anthropomorphic literature, art, and culture, and to facilitate the donation of funds to non-profit institutions that the board decides are worthy. So they started it in 2007. Uh, The event only had three entries back then. They had panels and workshops, but the Guest of Honor dinner, which costs you a pretty 35 bucks at that time. Um, it had very poor food by very poor food standards, which was done by the hotel itself. Uh, the convention sold out after a few days. Uh, there was no theme, but one was rectivactly assigned called the Rainforest. So, there you go. That's how the name started. Just because they had a assigned theme. And they were just like, oh, we'll just call it Rain First because there's furries. So not only that, so they decided to do Rain First 2008 because the first one was so successful. Uh, the registered member received airplane-style metal wings pins. Uh, brass, uh, a brass rings for regular members. Silver for patrons. And gold for members who are actual pilots. Uh, there were several events that they did. It included a fursuit masquerade, a pet auction, a plushy costume contest, an ice cream social, workshops, gaming, and dances. So the hotel staff was very friendly, as reported. This was unofficially considered Rainforest 1, with the previous year being called Rainforest Zero or
1: beta test. What is this, a video game? What, where was the pre-alpha for it?
0: They, they were just testing things out man yeah remember 2007 i mean they were replacing a, a convention with another convention that died so they didn't really have a name and they didn't have anything they were just like okay here it is it's all right it's
2: a spiritual
1: yeah and plus it's it was spiritual... 2007 the internet was rudimentary deal or no deal was a popular game show you know all that sort of shit. you've probably seen that bojack horseman with the 2007 flashback
2: i want my iphone what's this no. new iphone
1: I mean, they, they did everything they could
0: back then to try to get people in, and it got it successful because of yeah, it. So.
1: Well, yeah, it's like, I didn't even get my first iPhone until 2011. Well, we'll get to 2011 then- in a second, but 2009.
0: So here's yeah. what they had at this one. They had a dealer's den, an art show, a large fursuit lounge, a gaming room with a Dance Dance Revolution tournament, uh, a sponsor patron lounge, a three-day writer's workshop, and many panels and workshops. It even include uh, events included a zombie game, the first suit parade, the ice cream social, the costume contest, a variety show, the guest of honor dinner, a rant by two, the ranting Griffin, or Griffon, or well, however you say Griffin.
2: that. Two Griffon. I know who he is. I don't remember how to say his name. It was Two Griffin. I think is just it. Uh, a concert
0: by Alexander James Adams, and dances with four DJs. Get it. So yeah, in two thousand and ten. It became the sixth convention to surpass 1,000 attendees in the history of conventions, I'm assuming. Um, Yeah. The first on the moon. That's what they called the theme of this uh, particular year in Rainforest. The
2: first on the moon.
0: It was emphasized in a program throughout the convention of landing a fur on the moon and returning him or her safely to fandom. Hmm. The fur was revealed by Doctor Werner von Wolfenstein to be a Cosmofur Siberian Husky of the Soviet Air Force.
2: I th- yeah, because I think the Russian dog was a husky I th- that they that they sent. Yes. yes. Yeah, no, no. Saying.
1: I um, looking that up right now. Yes. It was a dog. History. <laughs>
0: Uh, in addition to the charity auction, there were tip jars in the con store with the faces of con staffers. Uh, all donations went to charity, which at that year was the Northwest Wildlife Rehabilitation Center. They raised about
1: $3,000. Okay, I looked it up the uh, dog. Her name was Laika, and she was a part husky, part samoyed, and part terrier.
2: So, yeah, it counts.
1: So a, do- a husky. A dog. <laughs> Yeah, a, a cute little doggo. A cute little doggo that
2: got porn of it later, I'm sure.
0: Uh, so the jar, uh, it, it got the most donations, got a uh, staffer hit in the face with a pie by the volunteer who worked the most during the con. Some other events included a, a costume contest, a second life social, um, a live model workshop, a furry high tea, and a graveyard Greg book celebration with his first novel. So 2011... Rainforest's first annual charity anthology went on sale, Stories of Camp Rainforest. It was printed by Fur Planet Productions, a 108-page trade paperback with 11 donated short stories for $10, with all proceeds going to that year's charity, uh, 20, uh, which was Love a Mutt Pet Rescue. That was 2011. In 2012... This was the, uh, the first time that Rain First had a Hall of Fame. Uh, it was called the ALAA Hall of Fame. It, had, it was celebrating characters, people, books, or films that helped to mold furry fandom. So here were the Hall of Fame nominees Bugs Bunny,
1: uh-huh.
0: Walt Disney, and the novel Watership Down
1: Watership by Down. Richard Adams. God. What about God. The Secret Life of Nim? N I M H. Nope, that didn't get nominated.
2: What about Star Fox?
1: Nope. I would imagine Star Fox would have you uh, un- influenced you- many furry artists. You
2: uncultured swines!
1: Uh, what about Don Bluth? Yeah. Don Bluth? Nope. No, they his only work. nominated three people that year. Three people. Yeah, but I would have nominated either that, either that or Don Bluth, because like his art style, movie. uh, like I see a lot of the characters uh, from the furry community are very reminiscent of Don Blue's artwork.
2: Well, it's just anybody, really, to be honest. Like, I mean, you know, as a furry, like, I based mine off of Spyro.
1: Yeah, uh, no, aren't you a scaly? I'm- a, I have- you're... I
2: have fursonas as well. I yeah. have furries as well. Split fursonality well. disorder? Not really, no. Because I only have the- I only have my dragon, really, that
1: I do. I've been meaning to ask this to a furry to a non, from a non-furry, like, dead serious, how do you figure out which animal you want to use as your persona? Uh, do you determine uh, it by the behaviors of said animal and, uh, and trying to associate it with certain behaviors? You, like, say you're uh, more confident, dominant, like, aggressive, would you be more, like, a like a lion or a tiger, or if you're more passive and submissive, think, or you're like a mouse. or I something
2: I think it like just that. depends on which ones you connect to. Like, really. cause like I just like dragons a lot, and um, because the one that you, because the one that you use the most is pretty much your your persona or scale son or whatever. Because like, I also have Pokemon characters, I also have Sonic characters, I have My Little Pony characters that you know I use to represent myself, but I connect the most with my dragon one, Neon. Which is the reason why I use them the most in like my art, in my videos, and all that stuff, so that's pretty much how I got stuck with that, and I like Spyro so much. So, originally Neon was just a recolor Spyro that eventually I ended up turning into my own thing.
1: That's how it goes. No, I always uh, appreciated the lion for its, you know, its dominance as the king of the jungle, despite the fact that it lives in the savannas of Africa. But um, yeah, I guess like if I were a furry, I would use that as a persona. I guess. I mean,
2: if you have a, if you have any artistic, you know, if you do art or whatever like that, you can always try drawing up what your, what your ideal lion would look like, like in terms of color and stature and stuff like that, and then that could possibly be your. I guess fursona it would just
1: look like a plain old average African style lion with the huge mane and stuff, you know?
0: Yeah. Besides the, besides the Hall of Fame, uh, so they also had a charity anthology called Tales of a Clockwork World. It had a 19, 119 pages, 8 donated stories with all sales going to the charity, which was Rabbit Meadows Sanctuary and Adoption Center. So 2013, So the charity anthology was called Dancing in the Moonlight. It had 77 pages and live donated stories with all sales going to the charity, The Clouded Leopard Project. They raised about $6,500. So in 2014, they had their Hall of Fame honorees. Uh, here's what the Hall of Fame was in 2014. Carl Barks, uh, Charlotte's Web, the, the novel, and Osamu Tezuka.
2: Osamu Tezuka, Yes.
0: So the charity that year was called Cougar Mountain Zoological Park. They raised $7,000. The charity anthology was Futural Virtual Horizons, a Rainforest anthology. It was 264 pages and 11 donated stories. So Rainforest 2015, they had a dealer's room. It was booked to capacity very early on. And instead of putting later applicants on a waiting list... Uh, the committee held a jury judging of all the applicants. It resulted in the, some long-time dealers being rejected and some first-time dealers being accepted, and it resulted in some loud complaints. They had two charities, uh, charity analogies. A menagerie of heroes for PG-13 stories. It was 332 pages.
1: Rated PG-13. Rob Schneider is a furry. <laughs> Oh, God. The day that happens.
0: And the other uh, anthology was called Naughty, Sexy, Furry Writing. Enter at your own risk for NC 17 stories. It's 122...
2: 24 pages. That's my
0: shit. Uh, So they had the same charity from the last year, and they actually raised more money. They were able to get 10 grand plus. Um, But we'll actually talk about this in way more, so let's get into Rainforest 2015. So... Um, I'm actually going to be taking it. uh, I'm actually going to be talking about it through Encyclopedia Dramatica
2: Uh
0: ED. So we're kind of tying it in from one episode to the other. Uh, so this is what they said. Um, Rainforest was a furry convention that was held in Seattle and annually from 2007 until 2015. Um, it's not around anymore. The convention in general was routinely plagued by two main problem areas, the first being an overly large influx of largely unsupervised people mixed with alcohol and marijuana use, and the second being hate-breeder types who want to shit all over the man-children for being what they are, to the point of sabotaging fire alarms in an effort to get the con forcibly shut down. It's especially unfortunate to other furry conventions because the hordes of man-children will simply adopt a new convention to forcibly make their own, which in turn will create the same problems all over again. On the brighter side, with any luck and given enough concerted effort, baby furs could potentially ruin and shut down every furry convention.
2: Yep. As a matter of fact, the convention I used to go to, notice how I said used to go to, last which was ended in 2017, was shut down because there was this baby fur thing. Basically, I don't want to. I'm trying to figure out a way to say it without coming up as freaking. You know, there are there is there are these things called diaper
1: fetishes. Oh, crinklers, crinklers.
2: Yeah, yeah, that, and then you know, crank it up to ten.
1: That just sounds like a horrible time to. Uh... Yeah,
2: I mean, I don't, I don't, just, I don't, you know. Condone any of that. So, uh, like I just said, that is a thing that can happen because the con I used to go to, that's what happened to it. They can't even be at that same hotel anymore. And they're going to have to, they're rebranding the entire thing just because of that one thing that happened.
1: Yeah, I can imagine it would be a PR disaster for the whole thing. Indeed. Like, when people think of Rainforest, they think of just fucking weirdos who trash hotels. Indeed. Yeah, cause, like, oh, we'll get into or,
2: that. I'm sorry. This is like, because like yeah, because I actually said this in a chat that I'm in. Is that, yeah, this is a furry, this is normal to furries, but you gotta remember, the hotel is a professional, you know, general freaking place of business. You can't just do whatever you want.
1: Like some corporate suits in uh, for a conference, they're uh, talking about their last projections from the third quarter, and then they see a bunch of furries walking around and they're like, what the fuck is going on?
0: Well, it's been in that same hotel for practically eight years, so anybody that's been there knows that this is going to be happening. So, they I mean, didn't like have the, any issues. Of, like out of
1: town businessmen who are like, uh, well, no, on they the would. Sh- I mean,
0: the entire convention would take over the entire hotel, so. There's people that are probably gonna be like, okay, go to another hotel because we're doing F- some- oh, We're doing everything over here, and there's not gonna be any rooms left for anybody that's coming in from out of town. Find somewhere else to go because this is a major convention that we've been doing for eight years that has like ten thousand plus people. So no, don't yeah, come. Yeah, I guess in it's here.
1: like um, having the San, Die- the San Diego Comic Con or VidCon in Anaheim and stuff. Yeah, like-
0: and. XSSW in uh, Austin, Texas, every March. They close down practically
1: the entire city. Yeah, south by southwest, right? hmm.
0: Yeah. But anyway, um, so Rainforest was organized after the original Seattle Furry Convention, Conifer Northwest, was canceled in 2006. Dennis Avner was one of Rainforest's first guests of honors at its first convention held in 2007. It was located in Washington State. The convention was mostly organized by SJWs, who wanted to make sure the convention was a safe space and nobody's feelings were hurt. Um, It was essentially an in-real-life furry tumbler for the weekend, where nobody could do anything wrong and walking around in a diaper was A-OK, because saying that was inappropriate would be kink-shaming. Uh, since Rainforest was held in Seattle, part of the Pacific Northwest, which is known to be the baby fur capital of the world, dozens and dozens of diaper-clad man-children would waddle on down to the hotel year after year and literally shit the place up.
1: Really? Baby fur capital of the world? Like, what the? Like, Like, do you, like, do you like, survey random furries like, ask them if they're into that shit? Like, what, is Milwaukee, Wisconsin going to be the vor capital of the world? Jesus.
0: Uh, this included strewing bags of used diapers around the parking lot for the hotel staff to clean up. Naturally, the baby furs deny that this was their doing, suggesting that trolls must have been the ones to create three bags worth of dirty diapers. Yeah, right.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, Pamper Chew was one of the convention's more notorious diaper fur regulars. Uh, Rainfurst 2015 was the final Rainfurst and also the year the hotel finally told these furry man-children to get the fuck out and never come back. The furries managed to rack up tens of thousands of dollars in property damage, which included flooding a bathroom over a server room and clogging the hot tub drain with towels and burning out the pump. On top of that, the fire department had to show up numerous times to treat people suffering from an overdose— and there were a few assaults. Both the sexual and old-fashioned types.
1: Didn't they, like, turn off uh, smoke detectors so that they could hotbox in a certain room? And then they yeah. had to call in the fire department or something I think like they that? they did,
0: yeah. A couple that with people walking around in diapers and fetish wear and leaving diapers in the parking lot, and the furries wore through the hotel's remaining patients real quick. Sunday night, immediately after the con ended, the hotel distributed letters to the con attendees telling them to sit down, shut up, don't have parties, and to stay quiet or they would get kicked out of the hotel. So a Rainforest board member actually wrote, the, uh, wrote this. They say, and I quote, It's my opinion that what really killed Rainforest 2016 was Rainforest 2011-15. to 15. During those years we failed to deal with problem behavior as it started happening. We failed at every level of our organization. We didn't adequately staff the event, adequately. We didn't adequately staff the event to cope with our growing numbers. We didn't work with our venue to discourage bad behavior, and we didn't create an environment where people who wanted to solve these problems were able to. As a result, damage to both the venue and to Rain First's reputation escalated yearly, and by 2016 it had reached the point that I now believe was irreversibly broken. The rest of this letter explains this opinion in detail, but that's the summary. Rain First was irritably damaged before 2016 began, but we could not, or chose not to, see the damage. We as a convention were entirely unwilling to hold people accountable to standards of behavior. Although we laid out policies to create a healthy and respectful space, we didn't enforce them. We didn't need to raise our standards in 2015. We needed to adhere to the standards we already claimed to have. More importantly, we needed to have been doing so consistently all along. Other cons have almost identical language regarding expected public dress and behavior in their codes of conduct, but they don't seem to have the problems we did with people using the headless lounge as a petting zoo, or having to summon the ambulance multiple times per con for drug overdoses. We had to create a safe space to violate the rules, because we had a long history demonstrating that there would be no consequences. So... Anyway, all was going well until someone wrote a letter to the new hotel that laid out Rain First's history of debauchery and property damage, at which point the manager canceled the contract. As a result, there wasn't a Rain First 2016. By this point, there's enough shit out there online that even a McDonald's manager would probably refuse to host a gathering under the Rainforest name. So, Internet Historian chose to focus, though, on Rainforest 2015 as most of the clips that he gathered are from this event. It turned out that not all attendees are wearing full-on mascot-type furry costumes. Some are more like cosplayers. as seen seen in an excerpt of the title composition showed in the clip that Internet Historian uploaded July 16th of last year. The cosplayer was shown wearing some furry ears, a corset, and some fishnet stockings. Internet Historian blurred the spot between the legs, since it seems like the contestants' hairy genitals are showing. Mm -hmm. Shortly, the furries are smashed. It does not mention if the beer is sponsored. They look like Miller bottles, so I guess Furries, uh, I guess Miller is Furries' beer of choice, or at least at the convention. I don't know. Do Furries even drink beer? Uh, I, at least they do at this convention. We
2: do whatever we want. Yeah.
0: Snapshots of Furries down on the floor or doing something erratic in the hall is also shown. The alcohol's effects kicked in eventually. According to the internet historian, somebody has loosened the bolt on one of these toilets, so when the next person flushed, water flooded everywhere. Two and a half inches deep. An emergency plumber was immediately called to the scene. He then showed a screenshot of the tweet saying, You know something went down at the convention when the boys in blue show up? Hashtag RF2015. Apparently, the damage was already done, as Internet Historian described, how the water has reached the basement servers. Soon, the staff had to threaten some of the guests to get out because they disabled the fire alarm. Why? They smoked a joint in their respective rooms. Somebody tweeted, It isn't a con without the fire department. That tweet was screen-grabbed by Internet Historian, too. Internet historian described the scene by the hot tub. Down at the hot tub, someone took all of these towels and threw them into the spa, but not before rolling up towels and stuffing them directly into the pump, causing thousands of dollars in damage. Comparison with Dashcon is inevitable since while somebody allegedly peed in the ball pit, nobody can prove that the ball pit is drenched. Mm. On the other hand, Rainforest 2015 attendees shit in the pool.
2: This sounds like an amazing Adam Sandler movie.
0: <laughs> there was a clip showing a piece of human feces floating by the pool right next to a kid with a floater.
2: I hope that's a Snickers bar.
0: The hotel staff had to close the pool for obvious reasons. Clips used by Internet Historian also included a clip of a hallway or a, what was it? a clip of a hallway where 2,000 canisters of nitrous oxide was found.
1: Laughing gas?
0: Yeah. And it's only the tip of the iceberg.
1: <sighs>
0: Emergency services came in handy for the following Number one, that furry who ate too many mushrooms and needed medical help. Number two, that furry who was arrested for sexual assault. Number three, that furry who was arrested for regular assault. Number four, a group of furries who drank too much to the point of needing medical help. And number five, a couple of furries that got arrested by the car park, one for drug possession and the other for drug dealing. Furries roaming around in adult diapers would not have been a problem. But it was very public display of these furries' as fetish that others feel uncomfortable. Internet historian found out that these furries' is fetish is called crinkling, named after the noise it makes when they walk around. A tweet bat, a tweet by @screamybutt says, Hey, at Rainforest, most cons have rules banning diaper furs for marching around displaying that literal shit. Take a hint, hashtag Rainforest. Another tweet by at Malwave says, Go home, hashtag RF2015. You're drunk. Another tweet by at E underscore CB says, CTAC is about to become 5,000% more absorbent. Hashtag RF2015. Internet historian then mentioned how some of these diapers are already full of shit. Soon, these furries were just throwing food and diapers in the gardens and stairwells, according to Internet Historian. He added a twit pic of an open pizza box laying on the sidewalk with a tweet that says, Walking to Jack in the Box and found a frickin' pizza on the ground. Mm. Hashtag RF2015. The pizza only had two slices missing, with the pizza box cover littered close by and snapped in the same twit pic. more twit pics showed food scattered by the same sidewalk another clip was shown with a hotel staff giving an orientation to the furries they said and I quote so one thing that's important that we do ask that you guys all be really good back to the hotel you know the elevator buttons you really don't have to use your foot just letting you all know end quote but still Furry still found a way to fuck this up. A snapshot of the elevator closed for repair was shown with the maintenance sign itself vandalized. And more diapers are getting thrown around the area. Including on top of people's cars. It ruined Rainforest's reputation forever. So even if the event was insured for all of the damages... $150,000 $150,000 in the bank, according to Internet Historian. The hotel chose not to accept the money and banned the event from getting staged in their venue for life. It evolved into a larger problem since hotel chains have connections. Word of mouth about what kind of congoers Rainforest attracts soon spread and was aggravated by snail mail sent to by nearby venues about what really happened in rainfirst and why these venues should have never agreed to host rainfirst in the first place. It worked. No hotel in Seattle is now willing to take Rainfirst ever again. Thank the it ex- Lord. It extended all the way to Bellingham, which is also in Washington State.
1: And is actually the closest major city in Washington State to the Canadian border, so uh, there you go. The shit
0: hit the fan when the Rainforest organizers claimed in a press conference that they they knew who were those sending the letters to the hotel's bad-mouthing Rainforest. The organizer was quoted in a clip, and I quote, The things that were talked about in that letter, and you are pretty much the only person who could have known that, end quote. The organizer was looking straight to the camera as if pertaining to the person recording as the culprit. Of course, Internet Historian did not save the source of this press con clip. Maybe to protect his source. The organizer continued, and I quote, Yeah, I, in my heart of hearts, I know who it is. Means, motive, and opportunity abound, and it pisses me off. Unquote internet historian interpreted the organizer's quote as the person sending out the letters to these hotels was the same person who's putting diapers on these cars with snapshots of these diapers thrown on top of cars Rainforest had to go elsewhere in the state and found a place in spokane washington just when the next event is about to get into plan execution mode the spokane venue also received a letter from the so-called saboteur Venue canceled Rain First 2016 afterwards to avoid getting any of the aforementioned experiences. Internet this story and then name the patrons who helped with this episode through clips provide blah, 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 blah. So, anyway, so that's what ED posted. So now let's actually get some testimonials from people that were actually there. So this one is from Roz Gibson, who, was, um, who practically shared her experience. And she says, and I quote, Instead of the usual first-come-first-serve method, we got this instead. Dealers will be selected by a committee of several senior members of the Rainforest staff, each with years of experience in dealers' den operations, and will make every effort toward fair and unbiased decisions to provide the best possible experience for both dealers and attendees, which apparently means our friends get first dibs and everyone else is SOL. She also added, Every convention I could afford to get switched to a juried system, and I was denied a table. So I will be at no conventions for at least a year, maybe never again, since apparently the only way to get a table is to be friends with the people running the cons, and my ability to successfully brown-nose is non-existent. So besides that, she couldn't actually get a table, which was kind of the same thing for me when I tried to get legends at SuperCon. I didn't know anybody, and I just submitted a thing like, "Oh, hopefully I get something," and I didn't get it. Mm. So I know what that feeling is like. So Patcho Fur had this had had this experience about dealer room organizing. Racing for first-time spots that instantly fill up a year ahead is awful. From what I've heard, this may have no right answer apart from spend more money and make room for everyone. But there isn't more money in room because it's done at low costs by volunteers. So they have to filter applicants into limited space somehow. Someone will get upset or someone will get favored. But when volunteers do the job, I don't sense a consumer issue. If it feels like some kind of club, it is. Picking for relative popularity is arguably serving fans over dealers. A random lottery could serve dealers over fans. It's relative. On the dealer side, it may be a case of just playing that game to increase demand. On the organizer side, have integrity about selective choices. On the fan side, be aware and respectful of both the organizers' work and the legacy of older members. So, vandalism. He says, I have heard many complaints of a culture problem with furries. I strongly favor the side that says bad behavior by a few individuals doesn't represent the group. I would listen to reports of organizers covering it up, but haven't heard of any such encouragement. Otherwise, it's very easy for one person to do hit-and-run vandalism without others knowing while they unfairly take blame. It should be clear that damage is a separate issue from rude displays of adult gear. Many selective reports conflate the two things. Rudeness exists, but it doesn't appear to have anything to do with the venue's economic damage complaints. According to Gossip... The venue hunting hasn't gone as hoped in Seattle, but there are options for a smaller con in Spokane, which we already discussed. Um, Patch even went on further. Um, It's a typical... Let's see. Hold on one second. No, that's it. Okay. So, So that's practically everything. From the uh, whole Rainforest saga. So, let's discuss this thing, man. Oh, wait. Hold on. Wait. Oh, this was just added in here. I did not see this. Okay. There's actually more to it. My bad. I actually had something that was a lot longer that was just added and I didn't see it. Instant update. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, okay. So... This was an article by Christina Tracer entitled uh, Rain First 2016 Postmortem. Uh, this was dated January, uh, February 20th. Uh, the first paragra- paragraph was already mentioned in the Encyclopedia Dramatica article, so I'll just uh, go on from where we left off from there. Uh, starting in 2011, uh, Rain First began seeing significant damage numbers in its post-con damage reports from the venue. Without permission from Rain to specifically share the numbers, I won't cite specifics, but these numbers were significantly higher than those of other events of our size with whom I've spoken. And each year, that number rose. We never actually paid for the damages. They were written off as not the cons responsibility, or at least neither we nor our insurance were ever billed. The RAIN board received a copy of these figures. I began seeing them in 2014 when I became a board member, but because we never had to pay those damages ourselves, we didn't spend significant attention on them. I think we all collectively assumed that they weren't anything we had to worry about. In retrospect, I see this as the pebble that started the avalanche. We ignored abnormally high damage reports to the venue because our hotel liaison told us the situation was under control. I would like to be clear, I don't blame the hotel liaison. As far as he was aware, the situations were being handled and we weren't being charged for repairs to the hotel. He knew we were making more money for the hotel than we were costing them in repairs, so everything seemed to be okay. In hindsight, I wish that I had dug into those reports more than I did, but I admit that in the year and nine months that I was on the board, I only acknowledged those reports and moved on. I did no analysis of my own beyond the cursory discussion in our board meetings. With my current knowledge, I regret that. The only justification I can give is that I have never observed any of the other board members showing attention or concern about the numbers either. I don't know what they did before I joined the board, but I'm not aware of any situations in which the damages to the hotel were discussed except for the annual meetings with the hotel liaison. Like the story of the monkeys and the fire hose. I, init- uh, I said what was, report- what was important by looking the rest of the board. Uh, they weren't worried about it, and so I believed I didn't need to be. In this way, I also passed that lesson on those who were elected after me. What I didn't know at the time was that although we weren't seeing financial consequences of the damage, we were burning through the hotel's goodwill at an alarming rate. Another pebble in the avalanche was a conversation within the board about harassment. A few of us on the board noticed that Rainforest's harassment policy was out of date and needed to be upgraded. During the annual board retreat in 2014, we pushed for a review of the policy to make changes that would make it more specific and enforceable. We didn't expect the resistance we encountered. Multiple board members responded by saying that if we made the harassment policy any more concrete, we'd be tying the hands of any future chair of Rainforest who wanted to work things out informally between the people involved and we would enforce bans on socially awkward individuals who just didn't know the rules. I heard from multiple people that making our harassment policy any more specific would cost us members, and they refused to consider that people who refused to show up because of our harassment policy were probably not the kinds of attendees we wanted. The cultural problem within Rain First's leadership was summarized well in a single conversation I had with the head of convention operations one year. He said to me directly that he had no intention of revoking a single badge if he could help it because he'd rather just tell people to go back to their rooms and sleep off whatever stupid thing they ingested. He didn't care that he was abrogating one of his principal duties as security's department head or that he was undermining the ability of his staff to enforce the rules. Even after explaining in detail why this was a problem, he still said that there was absolutely no need for Rainforest to ban people to make a good convention.
1: Yeah, it's like, um, you may have shitty like uh, convention goers, but like uh, if you can like weed them out, you know... That it's not going to necessarily change anything about the convention at all, you know. Yeah, it's like, you've got to be an obvious, like it, it, like, it has to be really some obvious shit or something like that. But it's like, in general, you'll probably have a good time. So long as you're at least nothing screams obnoxious like some assholes who are part of a convention just making a scene.
0: So we as a convention were entirely unwilling to hold people accountable to standards of behavior. Although we laid out policies to create a healthy and respectful space, we didn't enforce them. We didn't need to raise our standards in 2015. We needed to adhere to the standards we already claimed to have. More importantly, we needed to have been doing so consistently all along. Uh, other cons have almost identical language, including expected public dress and behavior in their codes of conduct, but they don't seem to – oh, wait, I already read that sentence already in the ED thing. So um, anyway, our enforcement problem was compounded by Rainforest's longstanding tradition of running lean and staff. We've rarely hired as many people as we needed, and not all of the staff that we hired were people we should have permitted to work for us. Despite this, we kept bringing all but the most incredulously problematic staff back. This isn't to say that Rainfirst was staffed entirely or even mostly by incompetence. Most of Rainfirst's staff were among the most dedicated, loyal, and talented people with whom I have ever worked. I remain impressed with their willingness to return year after year and go above and beyond the call of duty but I'm sure every one of those staffers could name at least one person that we kept inviting back that would simply wander away from their post. For example, one year, a security staffer checking badges at the entrance to the dealer's den asked the dealer's assistant to take over for a few minutes so he could use the restroom. Instead, he disappeared to go fursuiting, leaving that helpful assistant stuck, doing badge check until he was able to flag someone down. Jeez.
2: Yeah. Pretty much.
0: In this environment... The issues of 2015 were just the logical progression of a process that had been going for four years. The convention was a security nightmare from beginning to end. We sent multiple attendees to the hospital for drug-related issues. We had reports that a former staffer committed sexual assault and reports that a current staffer committed old-fashioned regular assault. In one case... It took two hours for the report of the incidents to make it from the staff to the hotel. The rotor rooter company showed up twice over the course of the weekend. Somebody stuffed a bunch of towels into the hot tub drain and damaged the pump. Somebody else deliberately loosened a bolt in the bathroom, causing the next person who flushed the toilet to flood the room with two and a half inches of water directly above one of the hotel's basement server rooms. Even the posters we put up around the hotel for the con game got vandalized or stolen. No act of destruction was too petty or too grand. By Sunday of the convention, it was clear that the situation was terrible, but it took until 3 p.m. to find out exactly how bad it was. Each year, the board meets on the Sunday of the con to discuss how the event went and what we were expecting to see as a result of the convention. Our hotel liaison had the 2017-2018 contract prepared and ready for the hotel to sign, but the general manager wouldn't talk to us and the senior sales rep was barely civil. The goodwill remaining to us had entirely run out. They refused to sign the renewal for 2017. They didn't revoke 2016, which they had already signed, but they said they weren't going to extend our contract at this time. I helped Rex craft the letter to our attendees, and we workshopped it with multiple reviewers, including members of the board for approval and editing. When we posted it, partially to tell the venue that we knew we needed to clean up our act, partially to tell the attendees that we were finally taking this stuff seriously, we honestly thought as a board that we had 2016 to clean up our mistakes. And as we said as much. Even after the hotel sent around staffers on Sunday to stick letters under the doors of con attendees telling them that the con was officially over and that any noise complaints would result in summary rejection, ejection, we believed that we could still negotiate our way out of this. I'll note that this is where the first real parting of the ways between myself and a few members of the board began. There was a small conduit on the board that thought we shouldn't say anything at all. If we had to say something, they argued. We had to say exactly what it was we were going to do to fix the problems, even though we had only just begun to figure that out. Otherwise, we were going to look weak and fluffy and not tough on misbehavior. The letter to the attendees, they said, was terrible and full of finger-pointing that did nothing to address our real issues. Then, something happened. No, I can't tell you what it was. If you're creative, you can probably imagine something that isn't entirely wrong. Suffice it to say that we were legally obliged to stop saying we would hold RF-2016 at the same location. This came after we posted the letter, making a lie of the claim that we had 2016 to get our shit together. And unfortunately, there wasn't much we could do. We had to remove the old location's name from our site, and we couldn't say why, but removing it caused exactly the kind of shitstorm that you might expect. People posted screenshots of the difference. Speculation flew, along with accusations of deliberate deception and cover-up. In response, the board instituted an absolute lockdown on external communication. We would talk next, they said, when we had something worth saying. Based on our initial review of the situation, that something, in quotes, was probably going to be the announcement of the replacement venue. Please bear in mind that at this point, everyone on the board and the hotel team was fairly confident that we were going to get a new hotel in short order. We were rain first for crying out loud. Our hotel liaison had 30 years of experience. We had a bunch of money in the bank, and we had nine years of history behind us. Who cared about some broken toilets and ruined hot tubs? We just needed to ask around and we'd get a few leads, pick the one we liked the most, and run with it. We'd have an announcement up in no time. Were we naive as fuck? Absolutely. Did it make sense at the time? Almost. About a month into the silence, after our third or fourth venue rejected us, I began to get testy about the lack of any onward-outward communication. I was one of those who pushed for the first letter, and I started pushing again. I believed that we needed to talk about the status of the search so people would at least understand we were still trying to find a new home. The board rejected my requests to be more transparent about the status of our search, claiming it would demoralize our attendees to see failure after failure. I tried to explain that right now most of our attendees were assuming we were already DOA because we hadn't updated our Twitter status in over a month, but the board repeatedly told me and my team not to speak. We had no news to share, they said, so there was nothing to say. Still nothing wasn't good enough. I debated with the board, but I was unwilling to act in direct defiance of their instructions. That was the state of affairs until early December when we exhausted every venue in Seattle, Tacoma, and Bellevue that could fit us. We contacted eight sites, and every one of them said no. Not all of them said it for the same reason, but they all turned us down. We stopped looking at bigger venues around November and started looking for any place that can fit 800 people. We even reached out to the hotel where we ran the very first RF next door to our previous venue. The general manager of that facility turned us down and told our hotel liaison flat out that we needed to lay low for a while to let the memory of what happened at RF 2015 die down because venues talked to each other and a lot of places knew about what happened. At a board meeting in early December, I laid out a few suggestions. Our bylaws required us to hold a convention each year, but we would rewrite them to remove that requirement and wait for 2017 to try again. We could work with our sister convention, Furlandia, and co-brand their next con as Rainforest Nine and a Half. We could retire the Rainforest brand and focus entirely on Furlandia. Or we could make a Hail Mary pass at Spokane where our hotel liaison had just helped with the World Science Fiction Convention. I suggested he reach out to his connections there and see if maybe he can get us a venue. The reaction was sharp. You'd think I just kicked a puppy suffering from cancer, not suggested a city. Rain First, they insisted, was a Seattle event, and Spokane wasn't Seattle. Any convention we could have in Spokane couldn't be Rainforest. It was too far away. It was a terrible part of the country. It would cut our attendance in half at best. It also seemed to be our only remaining option if we wanted to hold a convention. We had no hotels west of the Cascades that wanted to do business with us. And we still haven't said anything to anybody about anything. People were starting to get angry with us. Several staffers started threatening to quit. The board approved the attempt. Our hotel liaison would reach out to see if he can get us a venue in Spokane. In a week, a miracle happened. He got us one. It wasn't a brilliant contract, but it was pretty good for a first draft. Not only that, but they were aware that there had been issues in 2015. To avoid any surprises, he had shown both the convention center and the hotel the letter to the attendees, and they said that wouldn't be a problem. He relayed all of this to the board and again asked if I could communicate the news. The board again said no because the contract wasn't signed yet, so it wasn't worth discussing. Three additional facts become relevant at this point. Fact number one. One of the board members with whom I've been arguing all the way along had told me point blank when I became chair that a decision like con theme was too important to not allow the staff their say. Fact number two, that same board member said we shouldn't inform the staff of a possible move to Spokane because that represented an information leak. And fact number three, the Rainforest holiday staff party was in a few days. You could probably figure out what happened next. With my executive team sodly behind me and the little hotel liaison on my side, I broke the silence on Rainforest's possible relocation to Spokane and told the staff in order to give them a chance to have their say about the move. The staff were angry, of course. Nobody really wanted to go to Spokane at that point. When they started to accept that the options were Spokane or nothing, however... Spokane started looking more attractive. They took the information and spread it as widely as they could because it was something to say. Even if it wasn't concrete, it was something to prove that Rainfirst was wasn't dead yet. I also asked the staff to contact the board about their feelings on the matter so the board could make an informed decision about whether or not to pursue the Spokane move. I spent the rest of the holiday party doing my best to give every staff member that needed it a chance to speak up about how they felt about the silence. I think I did a pretty good job of listening to people's real complaints and addressing them. I couldn't promise much, but I did what I could, and I think it went well. The first Twitter release hit 15 minutes after I spoke, but I knew that would happen, and I accepted that as the price of getting the board some much-needed feedback, both about the move and about the staff's anger at having been kept in the dark for so long. After the holiday party at the next board meeting, the board had a lot of harsh words for me for going against their wishes and forcing them to commit to a course of action that they might not take. I explained that by breaking the silence, I had successfully stopped several key staffers from quitting on the spot. It was my conjecture that were a lot of attendees who were in the same boat, ready to give up on Rainforest if we didn't show that we were still fighting for survival. Again, I asked for permission to go public with the status of our search. Again, the board declined. I had done enough damage just telling the staff, they said. Soon, the rumors would be all over Twitter. After the board call ended, I stayed on the line with the president of the board. To be blunt, I was angry. I laid into him about how I thought the board was making a terrible mistake. To my surprise, he agreed with me, and we talked about how the time for secrecy had passed. He unlaterally apologized, authorized me to begin talking to the public about our Spokane move. This caused a massive uproar in the board but I stuck to my guns and reminded people multiple times that our options at this point were Spokane or nothing, and if our staff or audience wasn't willing to come to Spokane, we weren't going to have much of a con. We needed to know that there'd be some support for such a move before we committed to it and lost a lot of money on an event that didn't have enough interest to be viable. Of course, I was getting sick at the waiting game, and so was most of the staff. On December 23rd, The board approved pursuing the contracts for Spokane, and they authorized me to say as much. On December 26th, the Rainforest website released its first information drop in nearly three months. We didn't yet have a signed contract, and we weren't far enough along to know exactly when we would have one, but we were fairly certain we would be done with the negotiations by January 30, so I set that as our next information release date. Immediately... We started to hear complaints that we weren't saying anything useful. Three months of silence demanded a real answer, real in quotes. Of course, we had no more information to give. We didn't yet have a contract, and I wouldn't promise what I couldn't guarantee. What we did have was a sense that we could get a contract and a willingness to pursue it. At the time, I thought our best hope was to give people a reason to believe that we could succeed even if we hadn't yet rainforest earned many of the problems with its reputation by failing to fix problems or even to acknowledge that we were aware of them and silence only continued that pattern i spread the data across three posts on the rainforest blog spaced apart by a number of hours at the time i felt like i did a reasonable job though by no means perfect I committed in those posts to following up with more detail on January 30, a date that everyone active on the board and the hotel negotiation team thought was reasonable. The board scheduled a meeting on January 24, which would give the hotel negotiators a month to work and then give me a week to craft our message after that. At this point, I was trying to rebuild Rain First's reputation by undercommitting and over-delivering. Rain First has a long history of being bad at communication, internally to its volunteers and staff, and externally to its attendees and the public. I was bringing my own experience to bear, from a career spent working in operations, monitoring, and crisis management. I've learned that maintaining credibility during a crisis involves lots of active engagement with the people who care about the result. In this case, that's our attendees. For three months, we were dead quiet after years of unpredictability, a bad start to rebuilding trust. My goal was to get people used to the idea that we would communicate and that we would keep doing so. So, when we made that first set of posts after a long silence, I made a point of committing to a specific date when the next communication would come. Doing that, I felt, would help build confidence in our willingness and our ability to talk to people. We would be doing what we said we would, and telling people when we'd do it again. That's how I wanted us to build trust. After the December 26th information release, the month of negotiations began. While the executive team and I waited, we worked to do what preliminary setup we could. We began confirming track leads and department heads and made plans to avoid repeating the mistakes of the past. In particular, we talked about how we could hit the ground running because a lot of time was already lost. Still, without a venue, we mostly waited for the moment when we could spring into action. During this time, One of the two board members who had been most opposed to my leadership style appointed himself my security lead, then resigned from staff. In his resignation, he cited extreme despair for the future of the con. He seemed convinced that Spokane was the worst possible idea and that I was going to run the convention into the ground. He was so certain that 2016 would be a disaster that he said he wasn't sure whether he'd bother showing up as an attendee. I admit, I question his motivations. He had the power to call for a board vote to remove me if he had serious fears that I would personally damage the con. At the same time, he chose to be unavailable to support the convention, but didn't resign his board position to make room for someone who would actively contribute. January 24 arrived, but we still had no final contract. A storm in Spokane meant that some of the people with whom we needed to talk were unavailable, and some of the details of the contract were taking longer to resolve than we thought they would. However, we had committed to releasing information on the 30th. I told the board at that meeting that we would announce a delay in the contract and reschedule our information release. But the lead hotel negotiator said that he was confident we could have a contract to us in a week, and that even if he couldn't, we should probably go ahead and reveal to the world exactly what we were planning so that our attendees could start making plans. We had dates that, were going to, that weren't going to change, and we knew the board enough framework of the agreement that we could at least tell people where the con would be and when, and we could start taking registration and maybe finalize a budget. The board held a vote on whether we should release the basics pending final negotiation of the venue. And the vote passed. On January 30, I announced the location and dates of Rain First's venue, as well as the schedule for getting our dealers registered. As soon as that information was released, at least two people emailed the convention center to warn them against extending us a contract based on our past history. Because of those emails, the Spokane Convention Center added a dress code and a damage deposit to our contract, both of which we gladly accepted. The execs focused on preparing to open registration for the dealers and the board focused on the contract. On Wednesday, February 3rd, we received the final contracts from the venue, one from the convention center, one from a hotel. The board spent less than a day deliberating it, and then on Thursday morning, they began a vote by mail. On Thursday afternoon, the board approved the contracts seven to one. My marketing lead and vice chair drove to Spokane to spend a night at the venue taking pictures and reviewing the facilities. Some of those pictures went out over our official Twitter feed. Friday morning, just as I was arriving at work, the hotel negotiator and my marketing lead both called me to say the deal was dead. Less than a day before, somebody sent an email to the hotel with enough of Rainforest's past history laid out in excruciating detail that the general manager himself killed the contract and demanded we remove the name of his venue from our site, which is why I haven't named it here. I don't know who sent the letter. I don't know precisely what was in it. I only know that the letter came from a sufficiently credible source that the general manager of the hotel took it seriously and I know its contents were specific and damning enough to flip the general manager from being willing to work with us despite an awareness of our issues to not wanting any association with us whatsoever. We still had a contract with the convention center as of Friday afternoon, but without the room night guarantee to offset the cost, we had no way to afford their rates. In the end, one email sent by one person was enough to kill Rainforest. If people want a single target at which to point fingers, it would be easy to call that person out and say they're to blame. The real truth, though, is that one individual only had that kind of power because Rainforest had such an unstable history in the first place. Yes, a lone gunman pulled the trigger, but the board and the executive staff sold them five years worth of bullets. We neglected our reputation and the fandom at large. We ignored the negative chatter about Rainforest. We repeatedly rehired security staff who left their posts and were unwilling to remove problem attendees. We didn't train people before putting them in front of the public. We ignored damage reports spanning multiple years and tens of thousands of dollars. We gave authority over departments to people who couldn't or wouldn't perform in the role. We never demanded specific plans to deal with our problems and trusted that we would just deal with it. We, the past and present leadership of Rain, killed the convention, letting it wither from neglect to a point that one person with too much inside information and a grudge could finish us off. Friday afternoon, the hotel negotiator told me that the hotel wanted their name off our website and the letter requesting it had been carbon-copied to the CEO of the company that owned the hotel chain. I wanted my hotel negotiator, I warned my hotel negotiator that I could edit it out, but that people were scrutinizing our site for the slightest discrepancy and would know. I relayed his message to the board, and one of the board members opted to immediately shut down the web server hosting Rainforest's site. That night, on an emergency phone meeting to discuss how to proceed, the vast majority of the participants wanted to focus not on the situation before us, but on 2017 and how to start engineering Rain First's comeback. I'd like to say I handled the situation gracefully. Actually, I lost my shit. I told the board that I had no confidence in our ability to get a 2017 contract with the damage that had been done to Rainforest's name, and that even if they did, I doubted that they could find staff with sufficient motivation to run the con in a way that would actually improve it. I told them that most of the staff with whom I had spoken over the last month saw the board as an enemy for failing to keep them in the loop. I said that many of this year's execs planned to leave staff next year and the few who attended to remain were not inclined to take leadership roles. Finally, I reminded them that I had always planned to take a break after 2016 was done and that even my goals had shifted over the last three months. Instead of setting the con up for success over its next 10 years, I was merely trying to make sure it lived long enough for me to hand it over without having it crash. In in response to my rant, one of the board members asked, if that's how you really feel, why are you still here? Really? There was only one possible response to that question. I resigned. As of this point, I am no longer associated with Rainforest. I wish it hadn't ended this way, but given what I faced, I remain proud of what I was able to accomplish. I'm certain I made many mistakes along the way, and as a board member, I know I could have done more. I accept that. Still, I feel what matters most is that as the chair of RF2016, I fought like hell to turn the tide. Although I couldn't stop what now feels like the inevitable conclusion, I remain prouder than I can say of what my team accomplished despite the forces arrayed against us. There has been, and will be I'm sure, much speculation about what really killed Rainforest. But from where I sat, it looks like the result of years of unwillingness to fix the small problems until they became too large to ignore and too large to repair. And that's wow. it. So basically, I mean, we've pretty—I mean, that is everything that I had for Rainforest, but you know, there's a reason why I said this was worse than Dashcon because... The problem with Dashcon, and I said this in that episode, was the, the planners really didn't do a good job planning. And it was minor at best considering that what happened here. I mean, everything that went wrong with Dashcon was the planners. It wasn't the people that were involved in it. They just did not run an event properly. They just wanted to make it an entire um, fraternity party. And that's not what you're supposed to do. You can't just run an event. It's not college. It's some house that you can just do like oh whatever the hell you want. No 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 no. Pretty <laughs> much. Yeah, you have to. You have to have enough craziness to actually do it. I feel, and I feel for those that have to actually run Comic Con, have to run Super Con, have to do Mega Con, on XSW. Every single one of those guys, I have a amount of respect for because they're very successful at doing it. Yeah. They know how to, they know how to run it consecutively and not have any bad reputations whatsoever.
2: Jodini Con.
0: The and the way, and the why Rainforest is a lot worse because not only did the um the people running the convention not do great but the people themselves did not do great so it was double the amount of damage and double the amount of chaos that was in there i mean i mean you did success i mean according to this woman they were successful for three years or for four years and then the last five ended up destroying them because they didn't pay enough attention to like the small little issues and that seems to be a thing with any major company whenever somebody brings up small problems they ignore it because it's not anything that they have to worry about for the moment i the lesson you need to learn from this is always be cautious of the small things because you don't know when they're going to become big things
2: pretty much
0: especially when they're mistakes um That is generally. I mean, I've seen this happen to a wrestling organization down in Atlanta, Georgia, that was on top for three years, but they ignored all the small mistakes and ended up imploding in themselves. So, um, generally, and I've talked, and if you haven't listened to what I've said on at the end of the DashCon episode about how I used to run events, or how I used to help run events with uh, in my previous job then please listen to that because that's very informative about what you should do and how things have to be planned out if you're going to be doing something like this. Because I say that to anybody out there. Please know what you're doing. If you don't, or at least not have it so that you have too many cooks in the kitchen. Because I have a feeling that that's what happened in this particular situation. A, A bunch of people just didn't didn't have the passion or didn't think it was that like, Oh, okay, we can do this or whatever. Or the fact that they said, if it's not in Seattle, it's not rain first. I mean, you could practically do events anywhere in the country and it could still be the same thing. Like if they said it's not comic con, if it's not in San Diego, I don't think people give a shit if it's in San Diego. Yeah. Like, would you say, Hey, I'm going to not go because it's in San Diego.
2: I mean, I, as a person that lives in Los Angeles, like, I would love to go, but it's kind of uncanny on how far it is that I could go, but I can't, because of how far it is and how expensive it is. Like, if it was in Los Angeles, yeah, I'd go, definitely, but, yeah, I don't know, location, location is important, indeed, but, you know.
0: Yeah, and just the fact that there was just people that just didn't care. Like, there was a guy that was willing to get, like, get away from his spot so that he can go buy some merchandise when well, he was supposed to be on his post. And I don't know what made these people think. And you know what? The fact that they didn't keep for four years... They had the reputation of, hey, the, the attendees were like, hey, they're cool with this. They're cool with us doing all this stuff. I think also at that point they were seeing like, what can we get away with? What can we do that we haven't done the previous year that can really make things go nuts? I
1: don't know. Just- maybe just like, uh, I don't know, fucking an orgy.
0: I'm surprised that didn't happen. The
2: Bronies took care of that.
0: Like how far would they have gone if, they, if, if 2015 wasn't the deciding factor and they just completely ignored it because they realized, hey, look at all this money that we just made. It's not supposed to be run like it's a party. I think that's, I think that's an issue. Yeah, it's like, yes, you can have a, a, a small little hangout place, but it's got to be run with like tight security so that everybody is having fun and there's no chaos involved. And I'm not saying you have to make it so tough that people are like, OK, you have to do this move with this person. And then they're pretty much micromanaging like how it's yeah, like, it's a like sponge a sponge leave
1: room that, for Jesus when you're dancing with your girl or a no, license no, for that noise. <laughs>
0: I was going to say, it's like that Spongebob episode where Spongebob's going around like, okay, you have to speak with this guy at this particular time with this set of topics. I remember that episode.
2: Remember that episode. Or,
1: or, yeah. um, or like that Futurama comic, no fun allowed.
0: He's like, I have a conversation. I have you having a conversation with Mr. Krabs from 1041 to 1047. And I do believe what she was saying, like, uh, a couple, like, uh, one event does not necessarily mean that that represents the entire furry thing. I mean, I don't know how some people may have felt, like, oh, I would be embarrassed to say I'm a furry after this. But Atomic here is, I don't think, I don't know, do you feel any shame or anything after hearing all this?
2: Not really, I mean, I guess this, yeah, I mean, there's more shit to be embarrassed about than... A convention, I guess.
0: Yeah. And I don't know how necessarily the entire community feels, but then again, I only know one furry, and that's Atomic. I don't know anybody. I don't know. Else, I've never talked so. to any
2: other furries about this, so I have no idea what anybody, what any <laughs> other furries would think about this. I don't know anybody that went to Rainforest. Just, I just know it was a thing that happened.
0: But. Generally, I mean, there's going to be other conventions out there that are probably going to be much better run, much better staffed, much better attended. Um, I don't, I mean, there were a lot of furries at SuperCon when I went uh, in Fort Lauderdale, and they were very civil. Although, uh, one actually creeped me out because I turned around and I'm like, oh shit.
2: Five Nights Um, at Freddy's.
0: Yeah, it was literally one of the Five Nights at Freddy's characters. Um, It's
2: probably the, the whole. Probably the whole intent, yeah.
0: Yeah. But anyway, guys, that's going to do it for us with the whole Rain First episode. Coming up next, next week, uh, we're going to be talking about Filthy Frank.
1: It's Filthy Frank, motherfucker!
2: Dirty Dank.
0: Yep. So that's going to be with the originals, uh, the original co-hosts, and a special guest who said that he had to be a part of this because it has to do with Japanese films. So for most of you that have known uh, Cinema Nippon, you probably know who we're talking about as the guest. But uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you very much for subscribing and you know contributing in the comments section for those of you listening on YouTube um, check out the Twitter page at Joedinini legend I be posting everything about season 5 people are voting for who they want us to talk about in season 5 we're almost near the end of the winners bracket and then the loser bracket is gonna start pretty soon so check that out Instagram is the same handle Jodini legend I post little pre a little uh, audiograms, one minute audiograms of all the episodes um, that are happening as they get uploaded and even some past episodes like I did a Mysterious Mr. Enter one and I did a Shadman one as well um, and I also, Shadman? Yeah, I th- we did the Shadman episode a couple of weeks ago or a couple of mu- uh, like a month ago But uh,
1: I wish I were I wish I were in that episode cause...
0: Uh, No, you wouldn't because we had a lot of safe words
1: Hey, yeah. hey, you that know, it's fine. I, I, I'm pretty desensitized to a lot of graphic shit. And wow. I've seen a lot of his comics. So, um, uh, so Same yeah, it's pretty much second nature to me, impression. I guess, to just like, be like, man.
0: So, other than that, so, yeah, I do that on Instagram. And I'm also going to put Pliny's and Atomic's uh, Twitter page links in there. And also Atomic's YouTube page because, you know, he's a Nintendo guy.
1: You can follow me at random as underscore shitlord on Twitter. And just in case you missed that,
0: it's in the description box below so you can Yo. check those out. And by the way, guys, Legends of the Internet has a Discord. Uh, I recently started uh, sending out the links to it because now my fan base likes to watch uh, go on Discord. Back when I first started, and this was before I even had a thousand subs, I had people saying, I don't know what Discord is. I don't know how it works. What is this thing? Now people are starting to get into Discord again. So I have the Discord link in the description box. So if you want to be a part of the Legends of the Internet community, you can talk in there. We have a memes channel. We have an off-topic channel. If you wanted to talk about Legends in general, we have a topic page on that. So check it out as always. And we have a Patreon page. I also have a coffee page as well if you want to donate to the show by all means do so if you feel like it
2: atomic comms I have a twitter photon T- at photon th and uh, if you actually do watch some of my youtube stuff I'm currently doing a bunch of mega man stuff in preparation for mega man 11 coming out in a couple months so uh, you're yeah. making yeah, an 11th yeah. mega man it's coming out in October Yes. I'm playing uh, mega Man's 1 through 10 I'm doing long plays about each game.
0: And they also released the Legacy games, so you could play, like, 1 through 6 and then 7
2: through 10. Yeah, those are on there, too. I'm playing all all these through the Switch, so,
1: uh... Uh, Even the one with the fucking, uh... It was that that terrible one where Mega Man was barely in Mega Man X7? That's
2: one, it's all, it's all, well, all of them are on there, so... But yeah, that's what, I, that's what I'm up to. So uh, yeah, check it out if you like Mega Man at all. Or just gaming in general. That's it for me.
0: Yeah, he's, yeah I like his stuff. It's pretty good. And that's going to do it for us today. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you're on YouTube, like and subscribe and leave a comment below. I'd love to hear what you guys thought about this episode.
1: Smash that motherfucking like button.
0: Yes, because besides Legends, um, I also do some other podcasts, going to the cinema on Mondays, Let's Get Geeky on Wednesdays, PJs and Wine is an all women show on Sundays, so if you ever want to get notified of when those are going live, because those are live shows, then please buy ahead hit the bell if you so need. If you're on... Um the podcasting sites by the way guys most of our listeners on the podcasting platforms are coming from spotify so if you're listening to us from spotify thank you again rate the uh, rated five stars if you happen to have a Place to do five stars on your podcasting platform and be sure to write a review because I'd love to hear what you guys on the podcasting platforms are saying as well. Our numbers have been steadily increasing on that. I mean, oh my God, we're getting like a hundred some odd people listening to every episode every single time. So that number is only going up and it's great. I mean, we went from having zero in one month to having a hundred downloads in one month. I'm like, holy crap. So thank you again. And until we see you next time for Filthy Frank, guys, have an awesome rest of your day. Or if you're going to sleep, have some sweet dreams. And until next time, here's looking at you, kid.
1: Bye, everybody. See you later, alligator.